0: Yeah, no. Look at this passage, Lord, and, uh, one of my favorite uh, church services is the Wednesday night Bible study, just because uh, there's no agenda, there's, no, uh, there's no, nothing we're trying to do but just study your Bible. We're just looking at the verses, we're just trying to uh, understand what the Bible says, and trying to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you'd help everybody to be attentive, and Lord, and help us to just be able to listen up, to not be a distraction, to not distract others. We love you, Father, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Alright, well, we are there in Acts chapter number 11, and, you know, we, we've got to uh, deal with some of this, and we're not going to deal with the... We're not going to spend a lot of time with the first part of Acts chapter number 11, because a lot of it was just recapping what happened in Acts chapter number 10. But there's a reason why it's there, and I want you to understand that. But, um, you know, as we go through these... Bible studies, as much as we look at the verses and we preach right through the text and teach what the Bible is teaching, I also want you to have a, uh, an understanding of what the Bible is teaching and what the purpose of the, 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 the whole entire book as a context is. And the, the book of Acts is really uh, a book that is so vital to the, to the Word of God. If, if we just went from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And jumped right into the book of Romans, First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. We would all be confused, you know. We'd be wondering, what is the church? You know, and what what are these pastors, and what is it, what is going on here? And the book of Acts really ties in from the life of Jesus to those. Churches being started and explains to us this is church history. You know, a lot of people pay good money to go to Bible college and learn church history when they could just read the Bible. This is church history right here, Acts chapter uh, number 10, and the entire book of Acts. Is, you know, you can learn what is happening and how these churches were established. And I want you to notice. As we've been studying through the book of Acts, and if you haven't been with us, don't worry. We try to make every sermon stand on its own so you don't have to feel like you're missing out on anything. But if you've been with us in the last few uh, you know, weeks as we've moved through the Acts, I've tried to point out to you that God has been shifting away from the Jews towards the Gentiles, as far as getting the Gentiles saved. If you look at Acts 11 and verse 19... The Bible says now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose uh from that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word uh to none but to the Jews only. So I want you to see that they were initially only preaching to the Jews, but if you remember, when we were back in Acts chapter number 8, God allowed a persecution to come to Jerusalem, which forced those Christians out into the rest of Judea and Samaria, and out into the rest of the world. And so so God was forcing them to go out uh, in into Gentile territory. If you remember in Acts 8, we saw Philip there go down into Samaria and have a great revival in Samaria, which is half Jew, half Gentile territory. And if you remember when we were at the latter part of Acts 8, uh, Philip got the Ethiopian eunuch saved. Acts 9, we saw Paul, who would or Saul, who would later become Paul, who would be the missionary to the Gentiles. He got saved. And you say, well, what's the point of putting that there? Well, God is putting all these things together, because He's trying to show us. And in chapter 10, when he we saw there when Peter was called to go to, uh, to Cornelius and, and God taught us there that he should call no man common or unclean and God gave him the green light to go preach to the Gentiles and we also learned there about the Levitical ordinances and how we as Christians can go ahead and eat pork and all those different things, we learned all of that and God is shifting towards the the, the Gentiles, again the Gentiles say in Acts chapter 11 is a very interesting a passage to me, because we find the very first Gentile church established, and we find the church of Antioch, but I'd like you to notice a few things, if you look at verses number 1 through 3 of Acts 11, it begins finishing up the story of Peter being with Cornelius, and the Bible says, and the apostles and brethren were in, that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So the people, the Christians in Judea, in Jerusalem, heard that the Gentiles got saved. And look at what it says in verse 2. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, so those are the Jews, contended with him. That word contender means to fight or argue. So they were arguing with him. You say, what were they arguing about? Look at verse 3. Saying, thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and just eat with them. So they're upset. The Christians in Jerusalem, in Judea, are upset that Peter went and got a bunch of Gentiles saved. And they're saying, why did you do that? They're contending with him and fighting with him. Look like at verse 4, but Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them saying, so he begins to explain to them what happened. And we'll just read through these, we preached two weeks in Acts 10, so we won't take time to go through it again, but it says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend, as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me upon the which when I had fastened my eyes I considered and saw four footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air and I heard a voice saying unto me arise Peter slay and eat but I said not so Lord for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth but the voice answered me again from heaven what God has cleansed that call thou not common if you remember we looked at that and we saw how God was using that as an example because later he said that exact same thing about the Gentiles he said I should not call a Gentile common or unclean so it wasn't just about the meat it was also about the Man. you look at verse t- uh, 10 and this was done thrice uh, three times And all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were, notice this, three men already come unto the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. So it was done three times, and then three men appeared. Why? Because he's telling them, hey, these three men, don't call them common or unclean. Go with them. It doesn't matter if they're Gentiles. Look at verse 12. And the Spirit bade me go with them. Nothing doubting, moreover, these six brethren accompanied me. And those are the, do you remember from last week? Those were the six Jewish brethren that went with him. Because remember, there was Jewish brethren with him that when they, you know, heard them speak with tongues, they understood what they were saying in the Jewish language, and and we preached an entire sermon on that, about the about speaking in tongues, and we looked at that, I mean, we proved that up and down from the Bible, what the Bible says about that, and I mean, you cannot get away from what the Bible says, and if you say, oh, well, I, can I get that CD? Well, there's a problem with that, the, the recorder didn't record, <laughs> so I don't have that CD to give it to you, but... You know, that's why you miss out. you got to be in church, amen? Uh, some, some of them are just for the faithful that are in church. Look at verse 11. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting more. where six brethren accompanied me. And we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee word. I love this verse. And I won't preach on it because we preached on it before. But he said, He who shall tell thee word. Words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And I began to speak, uh, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. And and then I like verse 16 because remember, they're contending with Peter. So Peter's explaining to them why he did what he did. And in verse 16, Peter kind of begins to throw his weight around because he says, Then remembered I the word of the Lord. How that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And he's like, you know, I remembered what Jesus Christ said to me because Peter, you know, he's one of the few disciples that's actually with Jesus. So I, I, I like that, you know, he's kind of throwing his weight or anything. Well, and then I remember what Jesus said to me because none of these other guys were with Jesus. You know, they weren't one of the original twelve. Uh, so I like Peter. You know, he's he's such a human. We see his human side. Look at verse seventeen. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as He did unto us. And that's what's the point of Acts 10. That God gave them, the Gentiles, the like gift as He gave to the Jews. Because He's not a respecter of verses. Who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I could withstand God? When they heard... Now, the they there is the, the Christians in Jerusalem. When they heard these things... They held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So they're, you know, they're satisfied. They said, Okay, Peter, we understand. I guess God opened it up to the Gentiles. So that's really, you know, kind of finishing up that story. But look at verse 19. This is where I really want to spend time. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. If you remember, Stephen preached that great sermon there. And he got stoned because of it. And a great persecution started. And the Christians started having to leave Jerusalem. And now we're talking talking about those Christians that they, they left because of the persecution is they traveled as far as Venice and Cyprus and Antioch. look what they were doing, preaching the word to none but to the Jews only so they were only preaching the Bible to, to Jewish people. but then God opened up to allow the Gentiles to hear the gospel look at verse 20 and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene so they were Jews that were from these Gentile nations, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. So notice, they're now preaching the gospel to Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And look what it says. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. The latter part of chapter number 11 is all about the establishment of the the Church of Antioch, this first Gentile church. And as we study this passage, we're going to learn a pattern for the development of a new church. And I don't know about you, but this is interesting to me, because we're in a new church. You know, this is a brand new church. In a month or so, we'll be celebrating our first year. So we can really study this out and see the pattern of a brand new church. And I want to give you different stages that a church should go through. And stage number one for a church is this. When you start a brand new church, it's simply just trying to survive. And, and, but, but if you look at verse number 21, you begin to see the biblical pattern as to how to start a church. You know, often time when we were getting ready to start this church, people tried to explain to me different things. And people had all sorts of different ideas. And they said, well, you know, when you're starting a church, here's what you've got to do. you got to, you know, start you know, mailing out these flyers to all the community. And you've got to start having these, like... Thursday night meetings where it's not a church service it's just like inviting people to your house for coffee and trying to get to know people and you got to start you know uh, you know handing out these little invitations and you have to start you know. And people have all sorts of ideas. you got to get this big rock band to come in so you have a great first service. And, and you got to start, you know, just go to laundromats to go to bus stops and just talk to people and try to get people and all these things. And start all this networking, you know, before you really start. Because you don't want to have a first service and just, you know, have no one show up. So you want to network for about six months. And this is what, you know, it's funny to me because, you know, people ask me, you know, I, I'll go to these preacher's meetings every once in a while. I try not to go. But... You say, "Why not?" Have you ever been around preachers? <laughs> you know, uh, it's just a joke. I'm sorry, but uh, you know, you go to preaching, and people people ask you, "Well, what? You know, what was your, your, your first attendance?" You know, and we actually had a pretty good crowd. I don't remember what our attendance is. My wife would tell us, but I think we had like forty people here, just because a lot of friends and family came. You know, but these churches will start up, and they're like, "Our first attendance, we had three hundred people in attendance." But what they don't tell you is that they've actually been having church for like six months. They just haven't called it church, you know. But anyway, all these people have all these different ideas. But look at what the Bible says. Because here we see the starting of a church. And what did they do? And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Look at verse 20. You say, "Well, well, how did that happen? And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So how did the church of Antioch start? Here's how it started soul winning that's it, that's it. Right? You, you say well how did very baptist church start? I'll tell you exactly how very baptist church you said did you uh, bring a rock group in did you go out trying to network did you hold these little uh, family meetings where you invite people over for dinner for six months and try to hope that maybe they'll come no this is how we started you know one Saturday my wife and I drove up here from Bacabo, California, from the church of sent us out, Fellowship Baptist Church. I remember we came out with the Cortezes. The Cortezes came with us, and we just, did is what we did. We just started knocking on doors, inviting people to church, preaching the gospel, getting people saved. We did that the first week, and we've done that every week since then. And you say, is that how you started the church? That's it. Because that's the pattern in the Bible. You say, and I'm not against all these other ideas. You know, they're not sinful, they're not wrong. But they're not biblical. Because the Bible says, if you want to see, how did this church start? Here's how it started. People preaching the gospel. People getting other people saved. And as they were getting people saved, a group of believers began to form. That's, that's why we have the map. That's why we knock on the doors. That's why, we're, that's why we have a goal to knock on every door in Sacramento and invite people to church. And, and we put the flowers on people's doors and, invite, and knock on people's doors and invite them to church and preach the gospel to them if they allow us to. Why do we do that? Because that's the biblical example. And the sad part is, in America today, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if you've done, I, I feel like I'm being, you know, just continuing to say the exact same thing because it's just Acts 7, soul winning. Acts 8, soul winning. Acts 9, soul winning. Acts 10, soul winning. Acts 11, soul winning. Jesus Christ and the gospel, soul winning. You're just soul winning. So, many, so all, all we find in the Bible is just people preaching the gospel, getting other people saying, soul winning, soul winning, soul winning, soul winning. And what is the one thing that most churches in America don't do? Isn't that amazing? I mean churches in America do not go out. And I, and I won't take the time to do it today because I've done it so many times. But I mean the pattern is so clear in the scriptures to go two by two from house to house winning people to Christ. I mean that is the pattern found in the Bible. And that's the one thing we don't do. But how did the church start? I mean look at it. Look at verse t- uh, 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene which when they were come to Antioch so they went to this new city. They spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. They were just preaching Jesus. And as the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Look at verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which were in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that should go as far as Antioch. So, number one, how do you biblically start a church? Soul winning. That's it. Say, so, well, that's not, you know, that, 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 there, there's better ideas, there's better plans. I know of this mega church. They did this and they did that. Look, that's fine. There's not, you know, I know there people that have different modes and their ideas. But when you start a church that wants to have the Bible be its authority in all matters of faith and practice, that means we're going to do it how the Bible says. And, and this church, if we're going to grow, if we're going to expand, if we're going to bring people, we're going to have to just focus in on this one thing solely. Getting people saved. And if you say, well, I don't know how to open my mouth. And I don't know how to preach the gospel. I don't know how to get somebody saved. Then you need to go with somebody. And we'll partner you up with somebody. So you can learn how you can do it. Because look, you're not going to get away from it. I mean, study the Bible. That's all they're doing. All day long. Every day. Every passage. Every story. Peter's going to Joppa getting people saved. You know, Stephen's going getting people saved. Philip's getting people saved. I mean, that's That's all it is. And he said, well, what was Jesus doing? I, I proved it to you. All He did, three and a half year ministry, go from city to city, town to town, house to house, preaching the gospel. That's what He did. But when you start a church, you start, it. you know, the first step of a church is just trying to survive. You know, I, I read an article somewhere, this was a long time ago, but I read that the average church in America does not make it past its first five years. The side thing is, the average American in America doesn't make it past its first five years. But you know, a church is just a, in the stage of trying to survive, and and you know, and, and and let me let me say this just and it has nothing to do with sermon, but that th- that went into some of the reasoning as to why we started our church uh, the way we did. You know, one of the reasons we meet in a house, um, number one, is because it's biblical. I mean, you know. Uh, and, and I won't take the time to do it because I've done it so many times, but I, mean, I can show you three or four different references where the Bible references holding a church service in a house. So it's very biblical to do that because church isn't a building, and we've talked about that before. But the, the, one of the main reasons I decided we wanted to do it this way is because you know, a lot of times people told, people told me, no one's going to come to, to a church in your house. You've know, you got to go rent this nice facility. And, I, and to me, I just thought to myself, I'm going to a city where I know nobody. I don't know that anybody's going to come to our church, and I'm going to go rent a facility at two thousand dollar rent a month when I don't know that we're going to have that. And I, I know I'm not typing two thousand dollars a month. I mean, good night. I'm, I'm happy if I make two thousand dollars a month. You know, I'm not putting two thousand in the album, plate. So, but you see, so many churches fail in its infant stages because they put themselves under so much financial pressure. You know, they go out and they get this nice building, they get the, you know, uh, the the uh, the uh, communication. What's I don't know what's called the. The systems, you know, with the microphones and whatever, you know, and they get all these all these nice things and all these beautiful things, and they go out, and they put so much money into it, and then nobody comes, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not driving me to rent, but if you start a church, it's going to take some time to grow, it, you know, and a lot of times you, so we decided to start in the house because guess what, it's free, <laughs> you know, so we're trying to anti, you know, make sure we survive. And, 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 and I just, you know, I thought, well, you know, it doesn't cost anything. So the offering plate goes around, nobody puts anything, praise the Lord. Because guess what? It doesn't cost me a thing to stand up and preach God's word. I'm going to be in church whether I'm a pastor or not. You know, I mean, before I was pastoring, I would be in church on Wednesday night. So either way, I'm going to be here. Either way, we're going to preach God's word. It doesn't cost me anything to go soul. winning. It doesn't cost uh, my wife anything to go out with a lady and go out and knock on somebody's door and preach the gospel to them and get their take. It doesn't cost us anything. We'd be doing it anyway. So, you know, there's a reason to the madness. And, you, and people often tell me, well, you know, aren't you afraid that people don't come to your church because you're in a house? Well, here's that is true. But here's the thing. If someone would judge a church based on where they meet, they're probably not the right person for our church anyway. You see what I'm saying? I mean, if they if they would judge us and look down on us because we're meeting in a house, they're probably not going to fit in anyway. You know? So there's no point in just dragging them along. Look, you know, if you're looking for a fun center where they can, you know, take care of you, and you hey, there's... Hundreds of, them. and you don't even have to go to church for that. You can go down to the Moose Lodge. You can join a fraternity. I mean, if you're just looking for a social atmosphere, go at it. But if you're looking for a place that's going to preach God's word, well, that's going to take a little, you know, a little more discipline. So step number one in a church's life is just simply trying to survive, and I and we've done everything in our ability to make sure that this church doesn't fail. And the main reason is in the beginning is to just remove the financial stress. There's no, you know, we started in a house because there's no financial stress, and we will not leave the house until we, you know, eventually we will get a building. But we're not just going to we'll get a building. You know, if we can't afford a building, then we'll stay in a house. I have no problem, you know. Pe- you know, you-, you go to these preachers' meetings, and people look down on you. Like, oh, you're meeting in a house, huh? You know, we had a visitor come, and they told my wife, <laughs> this is a visitor told my, you know, talking to my wife, and she said, I've never been to a church in a house, and began to laugh out loud. You know, that's just like, good night. You know, I'm <laughs> like, what's wrong with these people? You know, but you know, people look down on you, but hey. People have been looking down on me all my life. You know, I don't have a problem with that. So, when you're short, everybody looks down at you. So, you know, I, I don't have a, you know, I don't I don't have this desire and I, I would hope you don't have this desire. Hey, I, I, you know, I tell people all the time, we're meeting at a house, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, if they look down on me, they've never read their Bible. They don't understand what a church is. So, you know, we're, we're eliminating those things because we're trying to stay in for the long haul. You know, we, we don't want to just be here for five years and then it turns out that we couldn't pay the bills, you know. So now we've got to disarm the church or whatever, you know. you know. But the first step is always that of surviving. These people are trying to survive. They're getting people saved, they're having a group, but they're not having much direction. So look what happens. Look at verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears excuse me, of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. So they sent Barnabas. And Barnabas now begins to be like the acting pastor. And, and I like Barnabas in the Bible. I don't know if you remember, but when Saul first got saved in Damascus, not on Damascus Road, but in Damascus. If you were here for that sermon, you know what I'm talking about. When Saul first got saved and he went to join himself with the church, you remember, they wouldn't let him in. You know, he, he came in for the church service and they were like, you are not coming in here. Because he was killing them, you know, because he was destroying them. And if you remember, Barnabas was the one that stood up for him and said, No, 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 I'm vouching for him. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. And and now Barnabas, this great man, is sent here to be like the acting pastor of this church. And look at what it says in verse 23. I, I like this. Because it says, Who when he was come, and had seen the grace of God, was glad. And look what it says. What do you preach to a brand new church? That's what you preach. And exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Now, don't miss that. When you just read that, don't miss it. This is what this is what Barnabas was preaching to them: that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. What does that mean? He's 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 trying to explain to his people: you need to cleave, you need to grasp, you need to stay close, you need to hold on to the Lord. And here's what he's saying. cleave unto the Lord. Let me tell you something. If you desire to have a walk with God, if you desire to get close to God, if you desire to have power with God and have the Holy Spirit power on your life and be able to know that you, that you have a relationship with God and you've got power with God and you know God and you know the Bible, let me tell you something. It's not going to happen by mistake. Oftentimes people... They tell me, oh, you know, I'm praying, you you pray for me, you know, that my marriage gets better, that my kids get better. I'm trying to be a better mom, I'm trying to be a better dad, I'm trying to be whatever. But then they never come to church. They never read their Bible. You know, they, they come, they hit and miss, they hit and miss, and I'm thinking to myself, it's not going to happen by accident. You understand what I'm saying? You know, when you want to build something, that doesn't happen by mistake. You know, you, we don't, if you want to build a house, you don't just wake up one day and say, oh, there it is. It's going to take planning, it's going to take effort, it's going to take work, it's going to take sacrifice. Whenever you're trying to build something, it's going to be done with a plan on purpose, someone getting up to do it. And if you're trying to build up your Christian life, your spiritual life, it's going to take time. It's going to take work. It's going to be like he said, exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. You must purpose in your heart. I like it where, and we won't take the time to go there, but in Daniel chapter 1, it says that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. And if you're ever going to accomplish anything for God, you want to have a marriage that lasts 26 years, I promise you, that didn't just happen. And I'm sure they could attest to that. It takes work. It takes effort. I'm sure at some point, it, it relied on the fact that you just decided, we're going to make this last. I mean, and, and, you know, and, and nobody, you know, and, and we're not saying that to say, oh, the, well, the husbands have issues, man. Every marriage that makes it past any certain amount of time, there comes a point where if you just didn't settle in your heart, we don't believe in getting divorced, you would have got divorced. You know why? Because most people don't settle that in their heart. And guess what? They get divorced. You say, I want to have a marriage that lasts 26 years. Settle it in your heart. Purpose in your heart. Cleave unto the Lord. You say, well, I've already done that. If you've already made mistakes, okay, fine. Confess your sins to God. Get right with God. And just purpose in your heart from now on that you will cleave to the Lord. But that's the only way you're going to do it. Is if you purpose in your heart. It's not, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to happen by mistake. You will not raise children for God by mistake. You will not live for God by mistake. We will not build a church for God just off of a whim. just It's going to take purpose. You're going to have to decide to do it. Verse 23, he exhorted them, all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man. This is what it says about Barnabas. And look what it says, he was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And this is what I like about Barnabas, and much people was added unto the Lord. So they were soul winning, but then when he showed up, you know, sometimes pastors get this idea. Well, I preach the sermons and then I study in my, in my office all day and, and I let them do the work. No, he was, when he showed up, I, pe- more people got saved because he was getting them saved. Look at verse number 25. Then, so after he'd been there for a while, because if you see the last part of verse 24, it says, And much people was added unto the Lord, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul so he leaves Antioch and travels to Tarsus and he's looking for a specific individual Saul who will become the apostle Paul and when he had found him he brought him unto Antioch and it was come to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch step number one of a church is first you're just trying to survive Step number two is where you begin to strive. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Go with me, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter number one. Philippians, chapter number one, in your New Testament. And we're doing a Bible study tonight, right? So I hope you got your Bible. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed it, but we've just been reading verses and explaining them. Philippians, chapter number one. You're there in Acts Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter number 1, and look at verse number 27. Philippians chapter number 1, and look at verse number 27. The Bible says this, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And, and I just can't get, I know I sound like a broken record, but I just can't get away from it. I, I, you think I just keep bringing up these verses to you, but I, I'm not doing it on purpose. But notice what he says. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. I mean, the emphasis again is when you speak, we preach the gospel. It's not passing out the track. I'm, it's not passing out the track. It's opening your mouth boldly, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he says, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast. Look what he says. He's talking to the church at Philippi. He says that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. you know what that's called? Unity. How do you achieve unity? By loving the brother. Remember we preached on that on Sunday morning? Mm-hmm. And look at the last part. Striving together. Why? For the faith of the gospel. The, the second step of a church is when the Bible says, when a church unites in one mind, in one accord, is what the book of Acts calls it. You know, do you remember how oftentimes it was said that they were united in one accord, in one accord, in one accord. The second step of church growth is this. First, you're just trying to survive. I mean, they're, they're just looking for a pastor. They're just looking for somebody to help them. They're just trying to get organized and united. But then you begin to strive. The Bible says, striving together. That, that That's talking about working. You know, when I think of the word strive, this is what I envision. You know, when you think of those uh, competitions where they have like, you know, like... Four people in a rowboat. I don't know what that's called. But you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's like working together, you know, to get to a certain location. You know, that's, that's what he's talking about. Striving together. It's talking about teamwork. And if you go back to Acts chapter number 11, and I want you to remember Philippians 1:27, where it says striving together for the faith of the gospel. But if you look at verse number 25, Acts 11:25, 25. Barnabas gets there. They've got a group of people. He's getting people saved. But look what he does. Verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Barnabas got to a point in the ministry where he thought to himself, I need help. And he said, I know who can help me, Saul. So he goes and gets Saul. And when he had found him, look at verse 26, he brought him unto Antioch and it came to pass that a whole year they were assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Barnabas got to the place where he said, our church is no longer in just the surviving mode, now we need to get into the striving mode, and I'm going to need some help. And I'm going to need somebody to strive with me. Because remember in Philippians 1.27, he said, striving together. For the faith of the gospel. And really, and I'll just be honest with you uh, tonight. Because, you know, I don't want to... I, I don't feel like I need to keep any... This is, if you ask, where do you think our church is? I, I believe tonight, Verity Baptist Church is between these two steps. I don't necessarily believe we're trying to survive. Because, look, if everybody left, we still have church. I mean, you, there's been time there's been many times when it's been... You know, Carol and my wife, and I just preached anyway, you know. It's funny when, when, like, nobody shows up, and, and, um, and Carol and Alicia Marie come in, and Alicia Marie says, um, if nobody shows up, are we still having church? And we're thinking to myself, you showed up, you know, your church. <laughs> you know, we're preaching to you, you know, because, uh, yeah, it's funny to me, but, you know, this is where we're at. I don't necessarily know that, I don't believe our church is going to end, you know, uh, for any reason, you know, I, I don't, I think we can survive, but I think we're in between these steps of church growth, surviving and striving. The Bible says we strive together. Here's what you gotta understand. Church is not a one man, one family show. Church is not, you know, oftentimes times people think, Oh, the pastor, he does, he, he does all the work. And he takes it. no, no, no. If a church is going to get to the place where it's growing, where it's maturing, it's going to have to get to the place where people are striving together. Philippians 1.27. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Barnabas got to the place where he said, I cannot do this by myself. I need somebody to help me. And he went out and he found Saul. And he said, Saul, I need your help. We... Let me just make this clear. This church will not grow if we do not get to the place... Where we've got people who are not just saying, I, I'm a bystander, I come to church, I sit in the chair, I listen to a sermon. But we're going to have to get to a place where Christians start maturing and they start saying, I want to take part of the work. I want to take part of the ministry. I want to strive together for the faith of the gospel. I want to see somebody say, I want to take on some of the work, Lord. And we got to have to work together. Remember on Sunday morning we are talking about we're one body? A body cannot... You know, a body is not just a mouth. A body is not just an ear. A body is all sorts of different members working together to accomplish something. And that's when it starts becoming fun, I think. When people start uniting... You know, I hope you didn't lose your space there, but in Philippians one twenty seven he says, And let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit. You know when you get a group of people that are standing in the same spirit, with one mind, you know, you've got the same doctrines, you've got the same beliefs, you, you stand in the same spot, and you're all united. And once you're united, you begin to strive together for the faith of the gospel. That's when you begin to accomplish something. That word strive, there's talking about like running, it's talking about action, it's talking about movement, it's talking about doing something. But, but I, you know, one person can't force that. That's a group effort. It takes people. It takes commitment. Barnabas sought out Saul. Saul was in Tarsus. Saul came out to Antioch. You know, and, and really, and I'm not, and I hope you understand, I'm not complaining uh, tonight. I, I hope that doesn't come across that way because I'm, I'm excited. You know, I, like I said, I'm here for the long run. You know, I'm 25 years old. I, I, I'm expecting to, to, you know, unless the Lord decides to take me soon, I'm expecting to be here for a long time. So I, I've got, you know, People ask me, oh, how's your church going? You know, I've got time on my side, is how I feel it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll let God do what He wants to do. So I'm not, I'm excited. But you got to understand, if we're going to get out of the survival mode into the striving mode, we're going to need people to get in that stride. You need to strive as we strive. we got to work together for the faith of the gospel. And it's going to take work. Look at verse number 26. The Bible says in verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. Look what they did. What did they do? And taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now it's very interesting, you know, everybody has heard the term Christian. But do you know that the term Christian is not very commonly found in the Bible? More than... The term Christian you'll find this word, believer, brethren, brother. That's the common terminology that God uses for us as a as as believers in Jesus Christ. If you notice, Christians was the word that the world actually put on the Church of Antioch. It's very interesting. You say, but what what is that? Well here's what you gotta understand. The word Christian And I'm not an etymology expert, but this is just what I've been taught. The word Christian obviously has the word Christ in it, but that last part there, what that means is what they were calling them was little Christ. They were calling them Christ imitators. When they said they were Christians, they were saying those people. And and don't don't miss out on this, because we're, we're looking at the development of a church, right? First, you're just trying to survive. Then you've got to strive, but as you strive, then you can begin to thrive. But here's how you thrive: You say, "I like to thrive. I like our church to thrive." You say, well, "How do we thrive? We begin to grow." But here's here's what happened: The Bible says, "Look at verse twenty-six. They assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. So they're getting all these people saved, but they're just not getting saved. They're teaching them the Bible. So that's called discipling. They're teaching them the scriptures." And these people, who are Gentiles, who are Greeks, they're Grecians, who are, you know, coming out of all sorts of, you know, paganist religions, paganist beliefs, these people, please understand this, their lives begin to change. And the Grecians around them take notice, and as they're watching this church of Antioch, they start saying, you know these church Antioch people? Have you noticed? They're starting to act, and talk, and look, and be like that Jesus Christ guy. In fact, I think I'm going to start calling them little Christ Christians. I, I, you know, they're like little Christ imitators. They're trying to be like Christ. And you say, what's the point of church? Here's the point of church. You get saved. You start coming to church. And then you begin to grow. And you begin to mature. And let me explain something to you. As you begin to mature, things ought to start changing in your life. If you've been coming to the church for a year, and you look back a year ago, and nothing's changed... I mean, there's been no growth, there's been nothing, nothing you've, you've seen nothing in your life, and you thought to yourself, man, I, I should stop doing that. That's not Christ's honor. God doesn't like that. You know, if nothing has changed in your life, there's a problem. Because the world ought to look at your life, and the reason that the world is so disgusted with Christians, is because, and listen to me, It's because they're tired of looking at Christians who say, well, that guy says he's a Christian but he's no different than I am. He smokes pot like I do. He curses like I do. He commits adultery like I commit adultery. They're the same as me. Why do I need... They got the same issues. They got the same problem. There's nothing different about them. That's not what was happening with this church. This church changed to the place where people started saying, man, those people are really Christ-like. And they began to call them. Look at the last part of verse 26. And the disciples... they were disciples. They weren't just believers. There's a difference between a believer and a disciple. A believer is someone who believes. A disciple is someone who's beginning to take the discipline of being a Christian into life. And the disciples were called Christians, first in Antioch. Remember the quote? This week? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's what we're talking about. See... And, and let me explain something to you, and this is where it starts getting a little controversial, but hopefully you understand. This is why, at Verity Baptist Church, we strive to have an atmosphere that's different. The Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians, the, God said, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. The Bible says that we are to be separated and different of this world. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about being crude with people. But I am talking about being different. You ought to be able to go to work. You ought to be able to go to your family, your unsafe family. And they ought to know. They ought to sense. They ought to see a change and a difference. Let me give you some practical things. This is when we start getting in trouble. Remember Stephen? He preached for 58 verses. But when he began to apply it, that's when he got in trouble. Well, let me explain to you a few things. Theology. This is why we sing the old hymns. Many churches in America today sing what's called Christian rock and roll music. Let me explain something to you. The world's rock and roll music taking the same rock and roll music and just putting the name of Christ on it isn't any different. Do you understand what I'm saying? People People ask me, you don't believe in Christian rock? Well look, I don't believe in Christian pop. I don't believe in Christian prostitutes. I don't believe you can take the world's anything and put the name of Jesus on it and it's fine. So why would I take rock and roll music? Which if you study rock and roll music, I mean, you honestly, unbiasedly study it out, you will find that it's got its roots in Satanism. It's a satanic type of music. It comes from, you know, just these pagan tribes and these different countries. I mean, that's where it was developed from. Uh, and you, know, you can study that out on your own. Do you mean to tell me that God would just look down from heaven and think to himself, man, wow, I never thought about that. I'm going to take the devil's rock music and use it. God doesn't work like that. And, and that's why we need to be different. Because I, I, had, a, I had a friend who told me once, I, I, was, I worked with him, uh, we worked at Wells Fargo, and he was a, he was a, a Christian, but he, he was into Christian rap music. And I never, you know, I, I wasn't, I never told him anything because he never asked me about it. So he didn't know that I was a Baptist. He didn't know that at our church we sang old hymns and stuff like that. And I remember, and there's such an impact, but this, he, he came to me and told me a story. He, he used to be into Christian rap music. He said, my pastor told me, you know, that I used to listen to Christian rap. I used to listen to rap when I was worldly. So he said, when I got saved, it's easy. All you do is transfer into Christian rap and you're fine. So he said, I started listening to Christian rap. And he said, one day I started, I was driving down the street in my, in my car. And I was, you know, I, I was driving and I came to Red light, And he said, I was blasting my Christian rap music. And he said, and right next to me pulled up my, some of my best friends who weren't safe. And they were blasting their rap music. And he said, the weirdest thing, as soon as they pulled up, this couple, this, this, this older couple with their kids started crossing the street. And it was some of his neighbors that he tried to witness to. And they had they had told him, I don't know that I want to go to your church because I don't really see a difference. I mean you're, you look the same, you act the same. I don't why would I want that? And he said this couple started, you know, it's just a coincidence, he said, I believe God did it, but they started walking in front of him, and they had already complained to him that they didn't like the fact that he was trying to win them to Christ, but he's like, It's the same thing, it's the same music, it's the same clothes, why would I change? you know. And and this way this way. He saw him and he began to wave to them, and they looked at him, and they looked at the other people and they looked at him and they kept walking, they didn't wave back. And he realized to himself, you know what? If those people looked at me and they looked at them, what difference did they see? I mean, seriously. What difference did they see? They don't know that I'm listening to Christian rap and they're listening to worldly rap. I'm dressed the same, I look the same. And, that, and, and, and at that point, he just decided, you no, know, I'm done with this stuff. Because at some point, you're going to have to just be different, you're going to have to change. The Bible says to come out from among them and be ye separate. And I know this isn't popular today. I know people don't like it today. But you got to understand that if people are going to look at you and say, man, and it's not about you telling people, I'm a Christian now. No, you ought to walk into work and they look at you. After working with you for a few weeks, you know, I love it when I go to work. I never tell anybody I'm a Christian. I never tell anybody I'm a pastor or anything like that. I go to work and after a few weeks people start realizing, man, you're a little different, aren't you? You're kind of religious, aren't you? Are you one of those Christians? And they say, you know, kind of like looking down on me, but I take it as the greatest compliment anybody could give. Because I, I, I think myself, they can identify that there's something different. Right. And this church will begin to thrive. This church will begin to win souls. This church will begin to grow. When those who come to this church begin to change your life. Be different. Look at verse 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I don't want you to miss this. They... Are thriving. They're surviving. They're striving. They're thriving. A prophet comes in. A preacher. And he prophesies that there's going to be a great dearth. And look at what it says in verse 29. Then the disciples. Now understand this. These are the disciples from Antioch. Then the disciples. Every man according to his ability. Determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, you see that. Now it's good that the brethren in Judea. Remember when we started the chapter, the brethren in Judea weren't happy that Gentiles were being saved, and that's why God gave that story. You got to understand everything in the Bible. The Bible, there's nothing in the Bible just there for fluff. You know, I used to read Acts ten and then I would read Acts eleven. I think it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's there for a reason. You know, the Bible is teaching us why the church in Jerusalem uh, accepted the Gentiles, and then they sent Barnabas to be But I want you to see this. They were able to take an offering and they sent an offering to the church in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem was going through some struggles so they sent an offering to help them. And here's the last stage of church growth. Okay? You start off with surviving. You, then you go to the striving together mode. Then you go to the thriving mode. And then you can begin to provide. You see what they're doing? This was the new church. And they were able to be a blessing to another church. They were able to help they were able to provide. You know what I? You know what I look forward to one day at Verity Baptist Church. I look forward to one day being able to support missionaries. We can't do it now, but one day I hope we can just you know just support missionaries. I have a missionary in Russia. I have a missionary in Venezuela. I have a missionary you know all over the world. I, I look forward to one day you know this church growing to a place where we take some of these boys that come. I, I want Ladarius to grow up and maybe be a preacher, and we can send him out of this church, and so he can go start another church, and we can help provide for that church, and we can help that church. Hey, the point church is that we can grow, not so we can sit back and, oh, look at all the nice buildings we can build, and all the nice things we can do, no. So we can help others. We can get other people say, Send other people to the mission field. Help other churches that need help. Send preachers say, I'd like to send a Barnabas. I'd like to send a Saul. I'd like to provide. But how are we going to provide? Well, we first need to thrive, but we first, before that, need to strive. Go me to Matthew chapter number 9 and we're done. Matthew chapter number 9. How do we do it? Well, this applies to us because of the the youth of our church. We're not even a year old yet. And I do believe we're in this, we're not in the provide mode. You know, we're we're not going to have the ability to plant a church anytime soon. And I don't know necessarily that we're in the thriving mode. I believe we're somewhere between the survival and the striving mode. And we need to begin to strive together. Look at Matthew chapter number 9. Look at verse number 38. Say, well, how do we do that? Well, here's how we do it. Matthew 9, 38. Look what the Bible says. Pray ye therefore, the Lord the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. Say, okay, how do we help a Verity Baptist Church make the next step? Here's, here's how you do it. You, number one, pray that God would send us laborers. And then number two, you become a laborer. You pray that God will send a laborer, and then you answer that prayer by you becoming a laborer. By you getting in the fight. By you getting in the race. By you getting in the soul winning, By you becoming a worker. By you saying, hey, I, I, wanna, I, I don't just want to sit back and, and, and be, be a fan. I want to get in the game. I, I don't want to sit on the bench. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I used to play baseball. And stuff. I hated being on the bench. I didn't want to just be a spectator. I wanted to be on the field playing the game. And that's where we as Christians need to get. You're going to have to get to the place where you say, God, would you send us labor? And would you help me to be a laborer? Because that's, that's what a church needs. One family cannot do it. One pastor cannot do it. One, you, you know, it's going to take a uniting of striving together. Philippians 1.27 Why do we strive together? For the faith of the gospel. Yeah. You know, we, we've had services here, and, and please, please understand me. I, I'm not saying this in, in, a, in a condescending way or anything. We've, we've had services at this church... Where literally everybody in the service was a member of another church, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm excited, you know. I'm glad anybody comes to our church, and any if anybody comes to our church, I'm excited they're there. And if they want to help and they want to, you know, be a part of it, and I'm glad for that. But you got to understand, a church cannot survive like that. You understand what I'm saying? You know, people come here and they want to help us out. Praise the Lord. We will use them, I, you know, in every way. And we're thankful for them. And sometimes you can't help it. Look, the Hudson's a perfect example. You know, the military moves them around. And we understand God does that. Not the military. But, you know, those, the circumstances are there. And we understand that. And we don't have anything against that. But a church can't survive like that. A church cannot survive with borrowed members. With borrowed... You know, I'm just being honest with you. I, I just want you to understand, you know church theology and philosophy we need to get to the place where we're maturing Christians to take on the workload to be a laborer and if you're sitting here and you say man you know I'd I like to grow then you gotta step up to that plate you gotta get in that game because we want to get to the striving mode so we can get to the thriving mode so we can get to the providing mode so we can send forth laborers so we can send out missionaries Hey, I want to see these kids, I, you know, I, I see these kids, these, these kids that come, you know, um, Augustine, and Nicole, and uh, that Miss Carol brings with her, and, and Alicia Marie, and Darius and Joshua, and Joel, I see these kids, and I see future missionaries, and I see future missionaries' wives, and I see future pastors, you say, you say, well, I want my wife to, my, my daughter to be a doctor, I want her to be whatever, well, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, I'm praying that all those kids go in the ministry, you say, well, you want them all to go in the ministry, look, if every single kid went in the ministry, we still wouldn't have enough, we still wouldn't have enough preachers, we still wouldn't have enough Churches started. I'm praying they all go in the ministry. But I want our church when they're able to do that. I want us to be able to help them, to send them. Hey, I want us. I want us to have their marriage ceremonies not in a house. Amen. I want us to train those kids to preach the Bible. To Augustine told me I was taking them home and I was asking the kids and I was saying, "What do you guys want to do when you grow up?" And you know they tell you all these dumb things that kids want to do. And, and and he said and and Augustine said. Um, and I was thinking, I want to be a baker, I want to be a chef. And, and then he said, he said, you know, I think I might want to be a preacher. I said, well, praise the Lord. Hey, we can help you with that. I don't know about baking, but I can help you with the preaching part. And that's the point. We want to get to the place where we're providing for others, where we're helping others, where we're being a blessing to others. But those are the steps at Church in Antioch. Survive, strive, thrive and provide. Let's bow our heads and I'm a word for Heavenly Father. Thank you Lord for our